this podcast, Brammy Creator, joined Hype You Media. And Hype You Media is a new podcast network of digital coaches aimed to mentor other solopreneurs in various aspects of their business. Sounds aligned, right? So I joined Hype You to for two for two different reasons. Number one, because actually our co-founder of All Influence Management started this company as well. And I totally stand behind everything that he's doing. But also because you know that I am someone who really prides myself in being holistic in touching on the healing journey, the mindset piece of entrepreneurship, expanding your breadth of knowledge so that you don't just know what to do, but you know what feels right to do. Because if it feels icky, if it gives you the ick, then you probably shouldn't do it. Doesn't matter if you, in quotes, should do it. So this media network is actually going to be a group of coaches in the world of business, energetics, marketing, innovation, etc. People that I know and respect already were pulled together for this group. And we're actually going to be hosting trainings all together on these things. So I'm going to be bringing my coaching to Hype You in their new membership, Hype University, to talk about marketing, building a personal brand, leaning into affiliates, a ton of things. If you have suggestions, let me know cuz I'm all about I'm all about talking about what you want me to talk about. But here's what I want you to do. Go check out the other podcasts on the network at hypeumedia.com and go follow them on Instagram. Go follow them on Instagram. You might see me over there at hypeu underscore media. That's H-Y-P-E-U underscore M-E-D-I-A on Instagram. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to Brand Meet Creator Podcast with me, Harley Jordan, and Sonia Elise. A place where we pull back the curtain and the trashy filters on the influencer marketing industry. So pull up a chair and grab a notebook. It's time to shed some light on the ever-changing Instaverse. Welcome back to another episode of Brand Meet Creator. You are going to have to forgive the nasal uh, situation that's happening with my voice right now because I think I'm actually still COVID positive. I got COVID at the Eras Tour. Haven't gotten COVID the whole three years that it's existed and go to the Eras Tour in 2023 and there you go. So that's lovely. Please don't call me out for it. <laughs> But today I'm super excited. I have Megan here, a good friend of mine who is, I don't even know what to call you, just sales, sales girly extraordinaire. (laughs) Kick butt business owner. I don't know. We're going to be talking about sales psychology. We're going to be talking about uh, consumer habits and how you can sell better online. So to kick this episode off, let's start with a a segment of if you like it, like it. Megan, what are you liking on the internet right now? I love this girl named Emily Nasser. She's that corporate girl on TikTok and she's living my dream. First of all, I never got into corporate, like corporate sales. By the time I had exited, it was no longer like my plan to be in corporate sales, but just the way she talks about sales and like 
it's a very realistic look of what sales would look like if I was in the corporate world, but it just looks so aesthetically pleasing. Like I just watch her stuff over and over. Why do you think the corporate world like seems so aesthetically pleasing? Because I also feel like there's a couple girls that I follow that I'm like, ooh, like you make corporate life look good. I'm over here in my sweatshirt that I've been wearing for the same, you know, five days in a row. <laughs> There's actually a psychology behind it and it's how you present yourself. And oh, of course there is. <laughs> there, there's psychology behind everything. For them, it's like that one, I think that was an aspiration that was both fed into us. Like if you go to college or you grew up in the 2000s, like that was the dream to work a corporate job because corporate had been so good for other people and just this like expend, like exponential growth around it. The problem I think with it being so aesthetically pleasing is it does leave out some of the stuff, but it's just how they really curate it. It's very much like, um, you know, that Tim guy on TikTok, I forget his last name. <laughs> But everybody knows who I'm talking about. If I say Tim, he gives kind of that same era yes. of like this it's, is – It's a C last name, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and he has a wife sure. and a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's this like – I think it's the American dream to be in corporate and then they have the best fashion. And I'm not a fashion girly and that's why I think I love it so much. <laughs> I feel like that's a huge part of it. Like anytime I'm like, oh, I could go back to corporate. Well, number one, I stop myself immediately and I would never say that. <laughs> I'm not going back to corporate. But I think I think part of it is like the fashion, right? Like it gives you this little push to like dress up or like have have a a meeting in your cute little outfit. What a thought. I think I would get an office before I'd go back to corporate. We've actually played with this uh, because like, so my home office is actually at my dad's house um, and I am in the process of moving out. Uh, My time living at home is coming to an end, but I was actually looking at, should I get an office and get an office in like downtown Colorado Springs where all the other corporate girlies are. And then I could dress up when I go to the office. Uh, I haven't gotten further on that, but I was like, you know, if I want like a fashion, <laughs> I would never go back to corporate. I, I, I'm just not an employee. Like I like having a hundred percent control, but part of me would be nice. The other part is like, I don't want to dress nice because we have dogs and I would take the dogs to the office with me every day. So then I would be right, like, right. I'd look cute, but I would be covered in dirt. It's not realistic, but it's nice to dream. <laughs> it's, that's why I think I consume it so much. Yeah, if if you like it, like it. If you like it, like it. <laughs> Let's dive into like your backstory because I feel like you have uh, like this just absolutely wild ride that you've been on since entrepreneurship. Like, can you take us on it for a hot minute? Yeah, I'll give you like the cliff notes. Uh, so I graduated with my business management degree in 2017 spending two years in upper grad saying I would never own a business. My best friend's dad owns a business. And I was like, I'm never going to be a business owner. And then (laughs) start a business in 2019. And I was a virtual assistant, OBM, social media manager mix, realized I hated that and was not a fan of it. Uh, My background is in management and sales. And so I had been in sales. Yeah. By the time I joined the online space, I'd been in sales for four years. I'm coming up on my 10-year anniversary of sales girly things. And I decide in 2019, after watching this program launch and do all of this, I'm going to join this program. The catch is I only have $200 in my bank account. And it's a 3K Uh, program. I feel like this is 
every glove story. This is every glove story I've ever heard is I had $200 in my bank account and I just went for it. Uh, well, I influenced most of those glove stories first and foremost. <laughs> uh, if it's if they're telling it prior to 2019, then it's not me. But so I decide <laughs> I'm going to make this investment. I'm going to go for it. And then I spend six weeks selling my offer. Everybody else is signing clients. They're building their business. And I'm like, I don't even know if my mom would buy at this point feeling it. <laughs> get on the sales call, close it, sign my first client, finish out the program with my first like $15,000 launch. Don't realize it at the point because we weren't counting launch numbers like we were. Yeah. And I decide I'm just going to keep investing and keep growing. And what happened was two weeks before the pandemic hit, I decide I am going to go full-fledged into sales. I didn't want to be a marketing coach. I wanted to do sales. We enter the pandemic and it is crazy town and I'm teaching people how to make money. And so by eight months into my business, so May of 2020, I hit 100K in sales in eight months, which was unheard of at the time. Yeah. And I closed out my first calendar year at $220,000 cash. Wow. The the kicker, yeah. The kicker to all this though, is that I had the worst depression I've ever had at the end of 2020. And so it was this, it felt like this moment of like, BTS of this business is growing. It's booming. It's amazing. And I mentally was deteriorating. And so isn't that that always how it is? Like, I feel like all the people that I've talked to that are wildly successful that are like, I looked great from the outside. Everything was moving. I was launching. Mm -hmm. I was doing X, Y, and Z, like myself included. There's, there's something going on behind the scenes. I think there's more high functioning and like depression and anxiety than people realize. And when you're a high functioning depression, it doesn't, you don't look depressed. I wasn't, that's the thing I think a lot of people get hung up on is like, when you look at videos of me without, like, if you don't know me, you're like, wow, she looks so good. She has lash extensions, her hair's done, her teeth (laughs) is brushed. And I'm like, because my depression doesn't look like everybody else's because it's high functioning. Yeah. And so I end up going into 2021, have the worst burnout I've ever had. You get pneumonia from burnout. Never recommend that. Love that. My engagement breaks off and I'm like, right. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. So I take like the summer to heal and have like a hot girl summer moment. It was great. And then I come back in 2021. I was still like selling and doing things, but not like as in my business as I could have been. And in September of 2021, I make an Instagram post and I remember it clear as day. It's like I've changed and so have you. And I decide I'm going to walk away from this massive business I built in three years. Wow. Or two years at that point. So I'm like, deuces, I'm going to go get a job at a very similar company. Okay, wait, 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 back up, back up. up. I want to hear more about this healing journey because- Oh, about the hot girl summer? I want to hear about the hot girl summer because I feel like so many people that I talk to, um, you know, are stuck in this point of like, what on earth do I do? What resources do I need? How can I get out of this gross, sticky burnout I've been there. What did you do? I So in May of 2021, I got diagnosed with major depressive disorder because I sought out medication. But I had wanted to get on medication since August of 2020. I had had depression before and I had been on medication and I knew I had done well on it. And I 
I just had this like pull to go back. And so I basically with everything that happened with my engagement, it was kind of like if you get on meds and you go to therapy, maybe we can fix things. And we never fixed things. We never reconciled. But in the beginning, it was like, it's so gross now to say out loud. But like in the moment, I was like, yeah, I'm going to fix things. I'm going to do it. I decide that I'm going to go to I went to therapy every week for I think I lessened therapy maybe at the end of 2022 or maybe at the beginning of 2022, but I was going to therapy every week. I did not do traditional talk therapy because a lot of my burnout was, I also got diagnosed with CPSD, which I already knew that was there. Um, I had gone through, and I've talked about this publicly, I went through a sexual assault case on my own at 20 where they literally picked it up, built a whole case over a year, pursued it, and I won the case. And so I knew because you have to go to court order therapy for that. And this is also part of it is I can intellectualize my trauma. And so I, I don't think therapy is for everybody. It's not, but I love my therapist. I still see the same therapist. And while I was going through that and being on medication, my only MO was to have as much fun as possible. So what did you, I just love all of this. I love all of this because I also hit a point we're so similar. It's disgusting. I also hit a point where I was like, talk therapy, I can't. Like, this is not what's going to, this is not what's going to work for me because I know how to logic my way out of it. I know how to tell you exactly what I'm feeling. Speaking out my problems doesn't do it for me because it's still, it's still inside. I know it here in my head. I don't know it in my heart, right? What kind of therapy did you do? I did EMDR, which is very similar to hypnotherapy. It is... I'm going to be honest with y'all. It's like a fucking smackdown. (laughs) It's like going to therapy and like the internet. So when I did EMDR, it wasn't as popular as it is now. And everything I saw was like, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Basically what it does is they like hold a pen or I never use the pen and they go back and forth. And it's, I motion desensitization or something like that. And (laughs) what it does is it gets you out of your logical brain and back into your body to process the trauma that's existed there. I did not do, my therapist did not hold a pen and wave it. Uh, I, he started that and I looked at him and I said, I'm going to be sick if you keep doing that. (laughs) But, um, it's basically, (laughs) yeah, the goal is bilateral stimulation. And so you have two hemispheres of your brain. And when you can get both of them on board, you can go into your subconscious. So it's very similar. If you've ever done hypnotherapy, it's very similar to hypnotherapy. But instead of pulling out rooted beliefs, it's so weird. It pulls out the feelings of the trauma and you get to process them in real time. And then it's almost like when you go through EMDR therapy, you have resources. And so you have like a happy place and you have like a happy person. So you go through this whole process of reliving your trauma, which is very traumatic. There were days I got out of therapy and I was like, this fucking sucks. Like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. But then you also get an opportunity to create a very safe world inside of you. And so through the somatic healing, it helps you go through this trauma, but not in a way where you just push it down and push it to the side. And so I was doing this every week for eight months and it just felt like, it felt like a magician pulling out a scarf because it was like, oh, a lot of my root of my problems are stemming from this. And the thing was, is when I came into therapy, 
I always got told I was high functioning, right? And I'm like, I love being high functioning. Like, please tell me I'm the golden child. And then realizing that a lot of the behaviors that I had and a lot of the ways that I worked or the ways that I viewed work were stemmed in trauma and really rooted in this trauma. And so that was, I remember going into my therapist's office before I ever made the post and he had this great couch and I remember sitting down and like we we would talk about like boys and stuff because I was also dating, you know, broken <laughs> engagement. I'm dating. It was a hot girl summer. And where I live, there's hot military men. Like I love a man in uniform. Like there it's a dime a dozen. You don't like one, get another one with the same haircut. Like it's great. And I would come in and talk about these guys and talk about these relationships. And I remember coming in and I sat down and I was like, I don't think I want to be a business owner anymore. And my therapist, like, I'm pretty sure he would have fell out of his chair if he could. But it was just like this realization of like, I had built this very incredible, successful thing. And I I loved that stage of business. But I also realized what I was doing was not sustainable and that I didn't feel like I could live in my world the way it was anymore. And I didn't have any ideation. I wasn't like suicidal. I was just like, something's broken. And like the business owner I am, I'm like, how do I fix this? And then not realizing that it was like, I'm going to go to therapy and I'm going to be on medication and I'm going to have hard conversations and not date unavailable men and like have to like figure my shit out, which in the grand scheme of things, I'm glad I did it in the moment. Sometimes I was just like, I remember there was a moment where I wanted to quit therapy so bad. And I told, I told everybody except my therapist how I wanted to quit therapy. And I told him like a year later, I was like, yeah, last year I really wanted to quit. And he's like, you didn't tell me. And I was like, I'm not a quitter. though. (laughs) I was like, I'm not quitting. Um, if you have an experience with a therapist, though, and you have to like fire them, fire your therapist. I've never had that. But it was just like, I figured out that I was like, if I can go through this, I can kind of figure this out and piece something together that doesn't feel right. the way I did. Because I felt crazy. I felt insane. Yeah. So I love hearing about this whole journey because it's so important to normalize the high functioning bit and to just start talking about like I feel like we see depression and a lot of a lot of us with anxiety with depression are like, oh, but that's not me. Couldn't possibly be me. You know, I have this great life. Why would I ever be depressed? There's so many wonderful things. It's not fair for me to be unhappy. So I'm I love that you're talking about this. I love that this is such a huge part of your story. Tell me about this post. You vividly remember it. I I would pull it up if it wasn't like archived and buried. (laughs) I just remember sitting there and being like, you know, when I started my business, I went through a lot of like life changes at the time. I had just moved back in with my dad. My boyfriend at the time moved to Arizona. We ended up breaking off a five-year relationship. Like there was a lot of things happening when I started it and it was this distraction, but I remember posting it and people being like, I feel the same way, but you put it into words that I couldn't because burnout was so prevalent. Like it's still prevalent, but at the end of 2021, we were coming off a global pandemic. And a lot of us in the industry were just like business as usual while we're inside of our houses, business as usual while we're not seeing our family members. And it just, it gave such validation that I think a lot of people were really struggling with how to verbalize it because on the other side of it is it's this poster child of, I got everything I ever wanted. Right. But what I felt like on the inside was like, I'm just more depressed. I just have money to spend on things that I like want now. <laughs> I'm and depressed with money. Gave, Great. 
I mean, like, it's sometimes it's nice to be depressed with money. You get resources to tools you want to have. And that's why I'm such an advocate for, like, make more money and, like, be able to support yourself. But it was also kind of this moment of, like, I think everybody had this idea of what owning a business would be like in this dream. And when I basically said it out loud, hey, I got it all and I'm not happy and I'm leaving, there were a lot of people who were really confused. They were like, what? And I was like, I've had a history of depression. I've gone through all these things. Yeah kind of back end. Like I would talk about going to therapy, but I think a lot of people thought I was just in therapy because my engagement broke off. I don't think a lot of people realized that like I was going through this like major diagnosis and working through trauma. And it just was so interesting because it was like the first time where it wasn't Megan, the sales girly. Megan teaches you how to make money. It was, I'm Megan, who's a person and you get to be a person too. And I've seen a lot of people leave since then. I mean, it's been two years now since I decided to leave and have also come back. But I think there's a lot of people who, you know, you get into business and you don't realize how much it takes. And then also realizing that like you could get everything you wanted. You could have this amazing massive business, but like if you're unhappy in life, you're just going to be unhappy. It's not going to get fixed. Right. So what happened after this post? We have a whole new business. I went and took a job. I luckily had a friend in the space who needed like a marketing sales operations manager, realized that I'd never wanted to work for another human again. I had a conversation with my partner kind of in the middle of it. And he was like, in less words, he was like, you're miserable and you're miserable to be around. Um, Mm -hmm. But he didn't like, let me preface this. He would never say I am like miserable to be around, but that's how I took it. And that's what was the context of it. So I'm like sitting there in my office and just like, I can't do this job anymore. I'm going to leave. I'm going to put my notice in. And, you know, like upper management, they turn around and fire you because that's how it goes in upper management. You don't do a two weeks. Uh, You with your technically C-suite, they just say deuces. Bye. Here's your severance package. Right. If you get one. And I decided I was like, I'm going to come back into business, but I'm not going to build the business like I did before. Because the other thing is, is in the middle of burnout, I, you know, I had this like crippling imposter syndrome and burnout and trauma. And I was just like, I don't want to build someone else's dream because I was constantly working with these coaches to build someone else's dream and then realizing I didn't want anything to do with it. So I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to coach, but I'm not going to build something that one ever feels like I couldn't step away or have a moment or do something. And I was like, and I'm not building, you know, this seven figure blueprint that everybody's selling because I had no interest in it anymore. And then 2022 was kind of crazy. I come back, everything's calm, no storm. You experience this, something hits in August and part of the marketing that I used, I wouldn't fully recommend, but it was kind of me stepping into leadership as well. We do 100K in sales in 10 days. It was like a fucking wildfire. It sparked. That's wild. And then we close out September. Yeah, we close out in September at $160,000 in sales. That is a four times my salary back when I was managing in a month in sales. And then from there, we close out Q4 at $300,000 in sales. And I was like, Jesus Christ, there is something in the water. And I am, please drink it and please come. And it was just so interesting to, I think a lot of people finally had permission to go and like heal themselves, but you're never fully healed. But it was also like, I came back and I wasn't pushing 
the blazer sales. I was pushing this concept of like, you can be really good at sales. And it's funny, we talk about corporate, but never have to wear a blazer, never have to be pushy. You know, you don't even have to send DMs if you don't want to, to a certain point where a lot of the sales industry is still very old school, where it's very masculine. It's very like, like, I love Jocko Williams. I love some of these like kick me in the butt David Goggins. But when it comes to sales, some of the stuff they're preaching and pushing is not actually applicable to the consumer anymore. And while I was starting to move it, I was like, I feel crazy. Everything I talk about has been proven by two things this year. The Barbie movie and doing billions (laughs) of dollars, which we're not going to talk a lot about because I am still in support of striking the era's tours. Those are two economic things that are feminine sales that have completely changed the industry. And what have I been saying for years? The money is in the women. It's not in the men. Yes. Yes. Feminine sales, not masculine energy. Okay. This is why I had you on. And this is actually why I let you talk about your story for so long, because I think this is so important. I I felt you. You were like, how much? I said cliff notes. <laughs> how much do I need to tell? But I just think this is such a solid, it's solid data for how different it can look. So let's talk about buyer psychology. You said something that like rocked my world and I did a full freaking lesson on it on in Do Less Club. We do these Wednesday calls that are called inner work times social media. And this was what I started with. You said rest in the repetitive because newness and fear live in the same part of your brain. So how can we develop that consistency, that repetitive, that like really easy natural and just lean in, have it be that way every week, accept it. You don't need to do anything new this week. So let's talk about that. I think it's the core theme of the Do Less Club. So in an industry that's always changing, there's been this creation of urgency. So urgency is a biological driver. Scarcity are biological drivers. These are things that are ingrained in us as humans. So urgency is like a cousin to your fight, flight, or freeze response. And urgency is a biological driver that used to actually get us to move because you have to think about it. At the end of the day, we're not as like evolved as we think we are. Our brains (laughs) have a lot of the same structures that they used to. And their goal at the end of the day, our brain's goal is to get us to the next season, to the next level. That's it. That's its only job. To protect us. Yes. Exactly. So the thing about urgency is understanding the difference between external and internal urgency and speaking to internal motivators versus external or peer pressure, because peer pressure really relies on our loving and belonging, which is a need that has to be met. And when you enter the online industry, I will say this till the day that I die, you do not have 100% belonging if you enter an online industry, if you create content on the internet, because if you were 100% happy with your loving and belonging, why would you go out and be like, I'm going to let these people on the internet judge me and still keep going? You wouldn't. Oh my God. Don't talk to me like that. (laughs) Don't at me like that. (laughs) I, I think this is so interesting that you say that because I... Every time I say like most creators are introverts or most creators like don't feel like they belong, people are like, no, you're joking. Most creators are the cool girl. No, they're not. No, no they they're not. not. They're not. They they want to talk to their phone instead of talking to someone else. This is my happy place. This is my office. I'm an introvert at heart. I just get extroverted because I've worked in sales. That's a You can learn how to do that. 
The thing about newness and novelty and the excitement is one, on one side you have scarcity and perceived scarcity is a higher driver than it is actual scarcity. And this is why we saw the mad rush to the Eras tour tickets. And then we saw it again because the idea of not being there, but the interesting conversation, a little side tangent, the interesting conversation is that perceived scarcity is a biological driver, but when you can remove the perceived scarcity and increase the inclusion, you actually increase pleasure in the oxytocin which I'm going to use Eris as an example. What happened, what happened is instead of them saying, no, you don't have tickets, you can't do it. What did they do? They started sitting outside the stadiums and then people were planning to sit outside the stadiums. And then they were putting, they were putting videos outside the stadiums because instead of saying, no, you can't be in this. It was like, let's have you be here anyways. Yes. I mean, they streamed the whole thing. It, they did, and it was everywhere. It was everywhere. everywhere. It was amazing. The fact that people watched every show and then still attended, like, and I think I would go as far as to say the people that are watching every show also might be going to multiple shows. So we're going for the atmosphere. We are not going well, for the like. There's going to be something new and revolutionary, and you know something's going to happen. No, 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 no. We're going for the atmosphere. How many of her songs did she play from Midnight's versus a discography that we have known and loved? I remember the first time I heard a Taylor Swift song. I remember it clear as day. I was in Beaver Creek, Colorado. I was just done snowboarding. I was in seventh grade. It was our song. My seventh grade boyfriend, that was our song until we broke up. Like, literally, we're friends on Facebook now. So, but like, that's the thing. Like, it was... It was exciting, but it was comforting. And that's where a lot of business owners, you consume a lot of content. And the first and foremost thing I will tell you is like, you don't need to keep up with other people. This is a lesson it took me way too long to learn. But like, check on your friends. Give them a give them a quick phone call. Don't even check their stories. Give them a phone call. See what they're doing. Put your phone down and go do your other things. Because the thing about social media and the online space and the industry is that there's always going to be new stuff. There's always going to be this like churn and burn energy. The only thing I can like compare it to is if you've ever flown into LAX and I say this all the time and everybody agrees with me when you get off the plane at LAX, it is a weird churn and burn energy. It is just like, it's also like if you would fly into NYC or Boston, there's just this like, you're like going feeling. (laughs) Yeah. I hear you. So I hear you. I, I think a lot of creators need to realize you're a creator, you're a creator, not a consumer. And that's not highlighted enough. That's not like stamped into our brain enough. Like we know the rules and we can recite them about like, you have to engage for 30 minutes before and after. You have to post an hour before your most engaged time. You have to like, I could go on, I could rattle them off, but I don't hear you're a creator, not a consumer. Stop consuming. So the statistics that they throw out about that is on average, 10% of people on an app will create content. And out of that 10%, only 1% will be the top creators and how they define that. If you realize that you are 10% of the collective 100%, that there are 90% of people consuming content, you don't need to consume content. There's enough people out there to consume it for you and then re-consume it. And then when they're thinking about you later, consume it again. Yep. Yep. Also a note to repost everything that you do because people will still consume it. 
They don't remember there it. Are f- they don't. There is only one do, person. And if they do, we love we love repeating our comfort shows. Come on. We do. Tell me you don't have a comfort show. Tell me you don't. Tell me you didn't listen oh, to that song. Oh, I do. Song I have multiple. Yeah. I have multiple. Like, if I want to <laughs> laugh, I'm going to watch New Girl. Like, I yeah. I full on LOL at New Girl. And every time I'm like, mm, every day, work is hard. I'm like, let's go. Schmidt, what are I you up to you. today? Even though I've seen it a million times and I know exactly what's going to happen. The thing I think a lot of people, and that's why I said rest in the repetitive, is that there's a lot of unworthiness that is triggered by scarcity. The perceived scarcity also triggers our unworthiness. And Mm -hmm. what a lot of people don't realize is with that amygdala hijacking of what's happening with the newsness and the novelty and it lighting up in your brain, is it's just emotion. It's just exciting. And what happens with our brains is that like whether or not you're neurodivergent, you will always chase dopamine. And for the love of God, internet, there is not bad dopamine and good dopamine. Your brain (laughs) does not have this like, this is good and this is bad. Like we do a lot of characterizing and categorizing when it comes to things. Your brain says this is dopamine. And what happens is as your dopamine goes up, once it hits its peak, you get heightened focus with it. And that's where it's like when we create this newness and this excitement, the dopamine goes up and the focus is with it, but it's not sustainable. And the thing about that is when things get boring, it's no longer emotion driven. You are starting to root into your neocortex, your frontal cortex right here that makes the decision. What also happens with that, which a lot of people don't realize, and this is more of like the Dunning-Kruger effect. So when you start out with something, you have a high level of confidence and you have a low level of skill and you're like, let's go. You're like, I'm excited. Like when I started my business, you couldn't tell me I wasn't going to make a million dollars. I was Dunning-Kruger alive (laughs) and well. The thing is, is as you learn more skills, that confidence falls. And so that dopamine from your business also falls. And as you're rebuilding it, as you're going back up and you're confident and you're skilled because you know what you're doing, that's where also imposter syndrome occurs. If you start to get some imposter syndrome, you're actually really fucking good at what you do and you're not a man. But as that goes up, you're less rooted in chasing this dopamine. And where a lot of people get stuck is when that high wears off and they're having to do the day in and day out. And The problem with that is also that high of dopamine has weared off. So now it's not exciting. And so now they're also like, am I no longer passionate about my business? And it's not actually that you're not passionate about it because you're gaining the skills, you're getting better, you're refining. It's that the newness has worn off. And that's Mm. where it's like, when you're not, think about it like tunnel vision. When you have a high dopamine hit, you have that tunnel vision. When you get out of that and you're in the repetitive, it also becomes a game of how well can I do what I'm doing? But where is the stopping point every single day? You know what you need to do. You do it. You get in, you get out, you have your life again. Mm -hmm. I love that. So can you give us more tangible of how we can sell on our social media without that fake scarcity, the manipulative marketing, like just not feeling gross about salesy stuff? You have to remove the mindset that it's gross. Sales is just like any other activity. I went to Starbucks this morning. They sold to me. The manager knows me by name and car. And he's like, do you want your usual today? And I'm like, "Mm, I'm not sure I might be feeling something different. That's sales. You just have to root out of this mindset that it's sleazy, icky, or gross. And understand that like you are a business. Even if you're a creator, you are still a business that has to make money. And selling is a part of that. And understand that you don't have to adopt an identity or be any different that you are to sell. 
When it comes to selling on social, it's a very interesting game. It used to just be very straightforward and it was nice for us sales girlies because we're very, we're just like, we're cut and dry. We are like, let's go. You have to one, create a brand presence that is noticeable and that is embodying what you want because our brain is smart. And if you're not embodying your beliefs, it's going to, our bullshit radar is going to go off and be like, mm, yeah. I think I'm not that's sure. I really do think that's such an important thing about sales. Like I was actually in Do Less Club this morning. Someone brought up like this should of like this rule that they've created for themselves of every post has to be a, a sell, a strong oh, no. call to action, a whatever. Oh, no. I know. I know. And <laughs> like that's that was something that's like truly getting in their way because they're like, okay, revolutionary message that needs to come out, that a needs to post. sell something. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like the data that they need to be compiling for their brain is actually when I tell my brand story, actually when I show someone how I'm thinking about my business and this problem that I'm solving in the day, like those little things are just as strong in building that credibility trust muscle for people. Don't even sell on your feed. Don't even like <laughs> stop selling on your feed. I We did this. Ooh. We started in April. That's controversial. Go look at my posts. There are no call to actions on my posts. Go look at them. They're not there because I don't want people to think that I'm trying to show up and sell to you just on my feed. I want you to come and consume my feed. I want you to get to know me. I want you to hear the opinions that I have. I want you to know before you enter into a buying decision. Because the other thing is, is that like, I feel like we have dumbed down people that we do need clear and specific direction. Our brains work well, but like we don't need such clear and specific direction that it's like, okay, I'm so I sell a program called Scale to 5K, right? Yeah. And in my captions, I'll layer it in. I'll talk about, hey, in Scale to 5K, you can learn more about this. Hey, in Salesy, you can learn more about this. But at the end of my posts, it's not go click the link in my bio because if they think that that's their opportunity or that it's a good fit for them, they'll go and do it. But the thing we also have to consider with like human behavior and social media and really utilizing it, I want people to scroll. I want them to get on my feed and I want them to go through post after post or get on my TikTok and go through post after post. And when I'm taking them to go click that link, I'm taking them out of that. I'm taking them out of this information gathering of what is best for me. And that's why I removed all my call to actions. And you know what? It is higher converting without it. I get better engagement. I get way better comments. This is I what I'm going to try. Way better I'm people. Try this next because I love this. I love this break the rule moment from you. Um, I have so many thoughts. Number one being so often we like over explain ourselves and we don't allow people to ask the question. Like what if we just let them ask the question? Like I was talking to someone, I was talking to someone this morning. Sorry, this is like all at the forefront of my brain. We had like a great it's conversation. bubbling up. I know it's just like coming. So um, I had a conversation this morning with someone who was like, I can't post old content because I was platinum blonde and now I have dark hair. And all of us in the group were like, well, let them ask the question. Let them say, oh my God, you dyed your hair. I can't even believe it. Give them that room, whether it's serious or not, whether it's about your program or about your hair, to to ask, where's the space? 
how do they know that like that person hasn't been following them? Because I also was blonde. I also had shorter hair. Like I've gone through, I've gone through the hair color gambits and yeah. I probably will. That's my favorite thing to change. But like, how do you know that they don't see that picture of you and reminisce on that? Because when I post pictures of Blonde Megan, everybody remembers 2020 Blonde Megan. And there's still this like air of like, you were still iconic back then. You're iconic yeah. now. And then they, like, how did they know it's not, you know, this, like, nostalgia? Yes. I love, I love, I just keep saying I love that to you. But I do, I do. It's not any lesser in my heart. Um, The other genius thing that you just said was that we're dumbing down our audience. I 10 out of 10 agree. And when I stopped doing this, like, my business and my feelings about my business completely changed. Um, I think we're talking to someone who's overwhelmed and mindlessly scrolling. We're not talking to someone that's dumb. And when you dumb down your thoughts, you stop giving like, you're giving the like baby basic definitions or like the basic rules. That's when you don't get your ideal client. That's when you don't have the right people in your programs because you're not talking to them. You, you haven't created that interest because you're not elevating the conversation. And that's something that you're doing to yourself. There's a very big difference between simplifying and dumbing down. And I think mm-hmm. people have taken simplifying as dumbing down. I treat my audience like they know everything that they need to know about what they're doing. And that when they enter in a buying decision, it's not that I need to convince them or that I'm the best for them. Like I, I'm never going to play that game ever again. No, I don't. Cause like, I, I want to do that in real life. Why would I do that to people who pay me? I treat them like I'm going to give you enough information to make the best decision for you. And you are more than capable of making that decision for yourself. And when you treat your audience like that, you also remove this. What I see a lot in the industry is this pedestaling. This person is so much bigger and greater and amazing and so much smarter than me. And it's actually like, are they? They're probably not. They're probably they're probably crying. Facts. They probably hate Vox or two. It's just a difference <laughs> of what opportunities have been presented. What has their life factors look like versus yours? Like it's really when you treat this person like they're so much smarter than you treat your audience like you have to be smarter and you don't. The other thing is, is that if they were an expert in everything that they like you do, they wouldn't need you. And so you would never be able to convince them to buy anyways. And so that's the other conversation of like, you are needed, but you don't have to make it, you know, what is a VA? What is an influencer? Why should you work with brands? It's more of a conversation of if I show up to someone and I talk about the lifetime value of a customer and they don't know what that is, I can take two seconds and explain this is how much a customer right. spends with us or average spend of a customer. This is the average trip of, you know, a hundred customers and how much they spent. That's mm-hmm. the difference between simplifying where some people may just be like the total amount your customers spend. And then it's like, you don't need to dumb it down. Yep. Yep. So give us give us more tips about social selling, selling on social. We're cutting the call to action. Just get We're rid of them. Try that say out. bye. Yeah, say goodbye to it. Try it out. Experiment with it. Collect that data that it works or does not for you, and that's totally fine. And what else? What else should we be trying? 
Since I don't sell on my feed, I do sell on stories. The biggest thing is, is selling just every single day and making it easier on stories. I think a lot of people, you talked about over-explaining and a lot of people are like, this is why you need the program and what it is. And here's everything you get. And here's my whole life story. Less text, baby. Less text. Get rid of your text posts altogether. They don't convert. (laughs) It's only only 7% of the communication is text or what you're saying. And that's where it's like, we need to think about mixed medium, but understand you're going to have hard cells if you struggle with X, if you want X, and then you're going to have soft cells where it's like, okay, you know, my favorite trends are like the POV or, you know, I'd say morning, but this thing happened. You can layer that in because your consumer is smart and they're not going to go, oh God, she's selling. Oh, she's so icky. She's so gross. They're going to go, mm, do I need this? Should I think about this? Yeah. When it comes to that kind of cadence though, where a lot of people get stuck is like they try something new. It doesn't go viral instantly. It doesn't work. And then they're like, Ooh, it obviously doesn't work. Let's start testing things over 90 days. Because the other thing is, is like you also have time of year, you have your consumer, this could be different for them. So it's a little scary because newness is scary. But is this something that can be rooted in? I remember when threads came out, I was like the biggest troll ever. I'm still the biggest troll on threads. You want to like witness me in my like moment? Go to threads. But I started talking about how manifestation wasn't a sales strategy. And there were some people who like got their pitchforks out and was like, this really? is shitty. Like they didn't say it directly to me, but it would like kind of be around me and people would be like, oh, this is pointed towards you. Yeah. And for some of my audience, they were like, you've never come out with a bold opinion. So it was kind of scary for them. And I just kept going with it and I kept talking about it and I kept continuing to like showcase like, hey, this is more than just thinking good thoughts and writing it down and like yeah. creating a vision board. And that's where it's like sometimes the newness can be very stark, but it's also like it's okay to do something different or to like if you haven't taken a bold opinion in a while, take like a really strong, bold opinion. It doesn't have to be something as big as like manifestation is in a sales strategy, but it can also be something really small like there are some things that I'm so fickle about. And when I tell people that, I'm like, mm. you know, it's another bold opinion that people always come for me is I refuse to read Akatar. I don't know why or what's in that. <laughs> Every time I get book recommendations, people are like, Akatar. And I'm like, I am not a Sarah J. Mass girly. I'm not a fantasy girly. Like, check my Goodreads. I've read one fantasy book this year and it was Fourth Wing because it was good. And she, you know what she writes? She writes romance. She writes my genre. <laughs> I'm but dead. that's the other thing, too, because controversy and having these small controversies, it does kind of give you like, mm, like what's going on over here? But it's also not like, to the point where you could, you know, the fear of getting canceled is alive and well with everybody, but it's not to the point of that. And that's where it's also like the thing I learned on threads that I carried into all this that has, you know, we're growing, we're growing fast, which is sometimes scary, you know, as a follower growing and having people and having all these opinions and showcasing it can feel really weird, but it's just like, have more fun. Like we're not in a pantsuit. This isn't corporate. Just like enjoy yourself, like shoot the shit with your audience. Like my coming back to threads, my photo on threads is me literally as a potato. It is not a brand photo. Yes, It is buff Tato. And it has been that way. I changed it back once and people were like, no, they're like, where's the potato? It doesn't make me any less credible being a potato. In fact, I think it makes me more credible as a potato than I'm not. (laughs) 
But that's where it's also like, I think we've gotten so stuck in these rules around social media versus like social media. It's supposed to be You fun. know, yes. Okay. I think that's such a silly thing that he, that I that I do hear all the time when we're talking about a formal launch or formal sales cycle or whatever is I need to have these brand photos. Why don't I have these? Why don't I look like professional and whatever? And I think that's seriously a story that we tell ourselves that gets in our way. No one cares if you have that brand photo, but you know why that brand photo is helpful for them is because it's repetitive. It's because they can use it time and time again. So does that photo need to be a brand photo taken by a professional photographer in a fancy suit? Or can it be a random photo in your camera roll that you use over and over again? Can it be your potato profile picture that you use over and over again? Why not? Why not? I think it's like this proved to be credible. We live in an industry where we get told we don't have a real job. What do people say? When are you going to get a real job? My job pays more than sometimes your job pays. Like, yeah. And I do way less than you do. And I never have to deal with office politics unless I create it myself. And it's me versus me <laughs> and whatever drama I have with myself right. that day. Right. And at that point, it's just the toxically productive, productive voice in my shoulder. Like it has nothing yeah. to do with actual drama. And that's where I think it's this proof to be credible, but it's also like at the same time, what if you just acted like you were credible? What if you just acted like what you do is a hundred percent enough and have that conversation versus, you know, in the sales industry, everybody wears suits. They all love suits. Yeah. You will not catch me dead. There was one blazer I looked at the other day and I was like, Ooh, that's cute. And then I caught myself and I was like, if I showed up in a blazer, the internet would literally get out pitchforks because I'm not a blazer girly. And that's where it's like, you don't have to be like your professional adjacent industry, but you also don't have to be a professional. And that's where I think a lot of people forget. Like look at some of these brands that have been built on just nothingness and are incredibly profitable. I I mean, I think there's so many big men on the internet who aren't saying anything revolutionary They're not getting in their head about all of the imposter syndrome and all of the things that we think about, and they're wildly successful. So who's to say that I can't, you know, film a a lesson outside in my bathing suit? Like, who cares? You could. I could. I could be able to. Uh, there was a coach one time, and I think about this all the time. There was a coach who literally filmed a lesson in her bathtub. I'm dead. I love that. Like, I love and that. I think it was like a, I think it was like a million dollar, like this program had grossed a million dollars. The thing about men is that they're never told to be less. Yeah. You grow up being told, show less skin, be less, don't right. be a know-it-all, don't raise your hand, don't out and don't outshine, you know, the male counterparts, right. let the guys pick on us, you know, you don't want to look smarter or as we got older, don't make more money. And if you make more money, like make it casual. And that's where it's like, you just have to understand that there is so much oppression that you face and you get to pick at the end of the day. And that's right. also why I don't think these men are consuming a mass amount of content either because they don't feel like they need to, they don't no feel way. unworthy. They don't feel like, I need to do this. And that's where it's like, when you reduce your consumption, like, I'm not saying go full social media fast. I know some people can do it. I get, I get a little FOMO. I'm a fourth child. I want to know what's going on. I want to peek around. (laughs) 
But like, take it down seventy five percent. Yeah, you know, get an Do, app I like mean, Opal. I think the thing is, like, don't don't scroll for inspiration. Like, that's really mm-hmm. what it is. Like, you can still mindlessly consume. Like, that's fine. We all need time to relax or giggle at you know dog videos or whatever. But like, that should not be your main source of inspiration. No. And that's where I don't think inspiration comes from scrolling. I think it's just a comparison trap. And then it's just like, yes, you're just, it's just like churn and burn energy. The other thing I think a lot of people, you know, they struggle with is because like, if I sit alone with myself, am I going to feel like I'm not good enough? And then the content I'm going to create, I'm not going to feel like I'm good enough. And then I'm going to have to look around and what does this person have that makes them so capable and so worthy? And why don't I have it? And it's like, get comfortable with yourself. Yeah. Because some of the best ideas, I remember I posted this skit and I have like more skits in the making, but I remember I posted this skit and people being like, where did this come from? And me being like, I've sat on this idea for, I remember telling you a year ago, I wanted to do skits and just being like, mm, I don't know, like I yeah. how are other people doing it? I, I think and when I sat so down, funny. I think it's so funny watching you just fall into what you actually want to do because you have had the same issue is like just getting in your way of like, here's what I should do. Like I remember having a conversation with you last year when you were in my program about like, you know, wow, I'm actually having fun. Like I'm, I'm dancing on my reels. And like, I always told myself that's cringy or I can't do it because it's not professional or like, you know, everyone's coming back at like, you don't have to dance. Well, what if I want to dance? What if I want to do the skit? What if I want to do something weird? Like, but why not? Why not? I think it's because you care about what other people think about you and how you're perceived. Mm-hmm. And then when you just decide, I just decided, what well, was two things? I read The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. And she has a part about like not wanting to be the cool girl anymore. Oh. And like, I don't want to, I don't want to be the cool time. girl. Don't tempt yeah. you with a good time. I will drop the I will drop that book down in the show notes as well. Yeah. She was like, I don't want to be the cool girl. The cool girl doesn't have fun. She doesn't yeah. like, I want to be like, I am, I take up all the space in my family. I'm loud. I'm bolsterous. Like I'm annoying. I'm like your younger sister in like a TV show. Like Meg from Drake and Josh, I think they wrote that about me. <laughs> I really do. But that was where I made this decision. Like, I really don't care about how some person on the internet who doesn't know me is going to view me. And I really care about how I feel about myself. And if I feel good about this piece of content and it flops, well, that sucks for you guys. You missed out on a good opportunity. If it does well, cool. That's cool. But like, it also doesn't take away. And that's where I think it's also when you get out of this trap and you really sit with yourself and understand like, I'm good enough as is. And whatever I create is going to be good. You also get out of this, like, I should do this. I should show up this way. I should talk about my offer this way. I should work with these brands. And it's like, oh, actually, I'm completely fine in whatever I do. Right, right. I think this also brings us right back to where we started with what are creators not? The cool girl. They're not the consumer either, so don't consume it. They're the one that is trying to find their community. There's a reason that they went online to find other people, and it's because they don't necessarily have the people that they fully relate with in their circle in real life. It just all comes full circle. I think that's why a lot of people forget is like the people who are creating content have been creating content for years. Like I, this is going to date me, but I had a Tumblr 
I had a good Tumblr. That shit was good. <laughs> I like I think we're a very similar age and I had a couple friends huh. that were like big on Tumblr. <laughs> yeah, until the 2010 debacle that it came. Like I had been creating content for so long because I didn't feel like I belonged in the community that I was with and the girls I went to high school yeah. and even kind of starting in middle school and that's where it's also like are you comparing yourself to someone's highlight reel? You are. And like from the outside, shit's winning. Shit looks yeah. good because I curate that to a certain extent and I show you that. I'm not going to get on stories and cry about things that are happening or not do that. And that's some of the point of social media. But when you tune out everything and you understand that you're just good enough as is and you can create really good content and you can sell in a way, you know, I've never had a pantsuit on. I have built a business in t-shirts and jeans and even showing up without makeup. And it's like, okay, this wow, is revolutionary. <laughs> Bro, I know. Like, this is enough and I am enough. And that's where I think a lot of people are really sitting with and struggling with because it's like, well, if I'm good enough, then like, I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to overwork. I don't have to create all this extra content and do all these extra things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have loved having you to chat with about all of this because I think all of these topics are so important and just uh, just get in our way all the time, like on a daily basis as female business owners on the internet, whether you are working with brands or have your own service or whatever you're doing on the internet, it, we all have this head trash. So to wrap this up, bring this home, I want to ask you what your, give me like the top tip you've learned in building this insane sales monster that you've built. What is your biggest tip to these massive months? Don't give a fuck about what anybody thinks. Just like, love it. Do you a hundred percent. And if it's weird, if it's quirky, if it's not weird, if it's not quirky, just be you. That's it. Love it. Like that's the secret to it because people, people just buy you at the end of the day. I love that the secret is not like, well, first add this story sticker to your first slide, then show up with a four part. What like, no, no, just be you. Just be you. You can get really strategic in sales. And I think a lot of people do that. But the thing is, it's like, when I think about my business, when I have that like reflection moment, I think about, I used to take really bad selfies. I used to, the stuff I was posting on Snapchat with my friends, I was posting to my feed. You know, when it was Cinco de Mayo, I was holding tequila shots up and being <laughs> like, I'm going on this date with this military man, like happy Cinco de Drinco, like very ill-informed, but still. And the thing is, is like, obviously I have grown up, you know, I'm not 24 anymore, but it's also like at every stage when I show up and I'm just Megan and I don't worry about how I'm going to be perceived or how people think about yeah. me in the industry or how they compare me to my peers. People are just so attracted to that because it gives them permission to be themselves a hundred percent and an right. opportunity before I got online the way I did, I never was fully me. I always felt like I had to fit into whatever box or mold. And you probably feel the same way. So just like, who cares what they think about you? Because yeah. you know what the other thing is? Is they're not going to say it to your face and that's completely Never, fine. never. So never. dude, where can we find you? Where can we get more? 
Obviously, if you want to experience Buff Tato in her full form, Threads. Threads is still alive and well. The haters are hating, but, you know, I will be the OG Threads influencer. I'll be the first person to build a million following on there. I don't know how, but it's going to happen. If you really like me, just slide into my DMs on Instagram. I still check my request box. You can just tell me what your biggest takeaway was. And then if you're ready to dive into sales and want to learn more about buyer psychology and some of the things we talked about and some of the ways I think about that, I have a monthly sales membership. You get access to two courses, one about buyer psychology, one about selling in the DMs and how to make that actually super profitable. And then one like course about kind of foundations, sales and those types of things. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, come hang out with both of us on Instagram. I would love to hear what your biggest takeaway is. 